Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season to all of you this Monday, January the 17th. We gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God and see Christ, our light and our life. And the light shines on us today from Matthew chapter 10. Chapters 8 and 9 are often seen as the deeds of Christ, the healing, forgiving, calling sinners to himself. And now we begin a portion where Jesus begins to send. And I would say there's many times in ministry and throughout my life where we've talked a lot about the sending while forgetting about the, uh, the deeds of Christ, the forgiving, the healing, the calling. Um, so to look at sending is very powerful for us as we've really dug deep in verses 8 and 9 to see how Christ worked for them, not knowing fully when they was being sent what this merciful God was like, but they knew for sure that this king was different than any other king with compassion and grace and forgiveness. So we dig in as we see the sending Savior sending his people. This will be fun. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome back Reverend David Hines from Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Pastor Hines, happy epiphany and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Brady. It's a pleasure to be a part of the program again and to share with many the great gifts of God and His Holy Word. And to spend some time with you as well, my hey, friend. Hey, you bet. We are literally about, what, five miles away from each other at the most? Yes. And uh, pretty good. So saying, thankfully, you know, you have to be on your phone five miles away, and I'm still in my office. But we'll figure, there will be a day <laughs> where I will get a stand, and we'll be in the office together as together as one. So anyways, Pastor, tell me what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity. Ah, what's going on for me? Great things. Uh, as we uh, wrestle with being church in these kind of post and yet still COVID times, uh, a lot of unique things going on. But uh, uh, it's a joy to be in ministry because the people of God are still searching. People are asking questions and they're wondering about their own safety and health and the, the way of the world and decisions of the governments and, and the way life functions. And so we get a lot of opportunities to share and to encourage, uh, all from the word of our gracious Lord Jesus. Uh, right now, we're actually studying uh, at our church the uh, Lord's Prayer. And uh, so thinking about the holy name of God and how his kingdom comes among us and his will is done is pretty freeing and uh, powerful. Uh, my family's well, and we continue to be involved in a lot of sporting events like basketball, where I'm coaching and uh, doing a lot of visiting with uh, not only folks from my parish, but also hobnobbing with uh, people from the community as we um, go to these different events and participate. So active kids' lives, uh, good things at church, uh, loving family that's supportive, a lot of good stuff. God is gracious. Well, thanks be to God for that. And I would, I would encourage you, our listeners, to, as he speaks about the Lord's Prayer, one of the gems, I think, of the small catechism that I often don't dig into as much as I should is the, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it is packed full of great stuff, not only speaking about prayer, but speaking about who God is and what this means. Like, 
What does it mean to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? I mean, it, 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 it exegetes this beautifully for, you know, for, for the simplicity of faith, but also as we, you know, whatever age you are, you're like, wow, that is a good point, and that really helps me in my prayer life. So, Pastor, any thoughts on that as you're going through the Lord's Prayer with your congregation? Well, well thank you for bringing that up, Brady. Um, <clears throat> we're really here to focus on Matthew 10, but if you go back just a couple of chapters to chapter 6, where Jesus in, is in his first real, in Matthew's Gospel, that really long first discourse where he's talking and teaching, he offers this prayer. He's describing what it is to be a disciple in the kingdom throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And at one point he turns to prayer and he says, this is how you pray then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he shares this gift. And, and it's incredible when you think about the father. Uh, in today's world, we know what presently absent fathers are. We know how we question dads and, and how homes are broken. The father that Jesus describes is, is uh beyond all, even the greatest father. And yet he is attentive. He is close by. He is very competent for all our needs. Uh, and he never fails. And then you get into the rest of the petitions. Uh, there's a host of things that actually each one becomes almost a prayer in itself, uh, reflecting on our connection. And also, um, as the first half of the Lord's prayer really deals with, uh, God's power, you know, his name, his kingdom, his will, the second half really deals with our weakness and needs, our, our need for daily bread, our, our forgiveness and our ability to forgive, our struggle with temptation and deliverance from evil. And in those, uh, we find we're praying to the Lord for constantly things. This week, uh, or I should say next week, we'll be talking about uh, the kingdom of God come. And really, that's about surrendering to the will of God. And I know the will comes up in the next passage. But if we want God to do his thing among us, the best thing we can do is stop trying to do it for him or trying to do our thing that we think he needs to do. And I know I'm guilty of that. So it's been on my mind uh, as we reflect on Jesus is there for us. And that's actually an exciting turn toward chapter 10, because uh, just the segue, Brady, um, that first discourse ends at the end of chapter seven. And then you've got, like you mentioned, some different events or actions of Jesus. He's doing things, showing his power and authority. He's uh, cleansing lepers. He's uh, declaring faith. He's telling his disciples about the cost of following, uh, calms a storm, heals a paralytic. There's a whole bunch of things that he does that really represent the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in the midst of the people. And the kingdom of God is really God's reigning activity, which is seen in the work and will and way of Jesus. And then in chapter 10, he actually uh, gives 12 people authority, his authority to do his things. And that's pretty significant. And it also, as we segue into that, it also raises some questions if the disciples are praying that Lord's prayer and they're asking for God's kingdom to come, they have now seen as they've walked with him, what that kingdom kind of looks like. And now Jesus is going to send 12 of them out to be about some of that work of the kingdom. Some of that is for all of us. And some of that is rather exclusive to them at this time in history. Uh, But powerful that Jesus does that. And then, 
he gives them the instructions of what that looks like. And that's about all we cover today. Mm. But after that, then it becomes a more generic um, from our Lord. What then does it look for the rest of us and what's coming, uh, including persecutions and other things too. Uh, but that's part of the work of Jesus, which also then eventually becomes part of the work of his people or his sheep. Um, so that's connecting the Lord's Prayer with chapter 10, but kind of a great segue in. As we pray, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We would like that to be done in us and among us as well. And that is where Jesus is and lives as we surrender to his will and his way. Well, thoughts on that? I, I want us to begin in prayer um, because you just brought us to the point where we should pray for this. And you go, what? How about we do it now? Can you begin our time in prayer, Pastor? Absolutely. We pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that your name would be holy among us by our lips and our lives. For your name is holy, dear Father, and your grace abounds even upon us. May we, dear Lord, be brought into your kingdom each day by the presence of your Son in heart and life, and may we walk and live in that kingdom by seeking and following your will uh, and your way. Grant us our daily bread, and please, O Lord, for we trust you will provide, that you would also give us forgiveness and as part of that response to that great gift, be forgiving people, people who seek reconciliation, building and coming together in relationship with one another. Lord, in this world, strife and division are rampant, and we are, are almost encouraged to hold grudges and look for ways to, to break down or avoid or cause further division. May we not be that, but rem be reminded of your beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers and be people who live as Christ did because he lives in us. Grant us this time that this word that we share uh, might be fruitful, that this proclamation from thy strong word today would go forth into all the, gener all the nations and that it would inspire people to trust and discover a savior who delivers everything that is of need. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions as we explore the text today, Matthew chapter 10, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, here's yes. what I think we're going to do. Is, okay. Uh, I'm going to start by reading all of our verses that we have assigned for us today which would mm -hmm. be Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15. And then we'll come back for some more of your introductory thoughts. I love it when I love it when pastors get on and it's just like, let's go. Let's get to this word, you know. Let's get going. And that's what you've done for us today, so I appreciate that. And, and it really is, like you said so beautifully, that this is the kingdom of God at work because it's Jesus's, it's the Lord's authority not the people and how easy it is for us to see it as, oh, this, I mean, these guys, these guys had a lot of power. Like, no, no, no. Everything they did was from Jesus's hand. So we'll remember that as we move forward. Matthew chapter 10, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, verses 1 through 15 of Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out 
and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So, Pastor, we we come, uh, chapter 10, right before it, basically he says, pray to me, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers. And right now, without even really breathing, um, Matthew writes the next portion showing God answers those prayers. What are your thoughts as we look at all these verses this morning? Well, that's, that's the first striking part. Uh, and I would like to reiterate to all our listeners that if you have questions, please make sure to send them to Brady. <laughs> um, but that is fascinating, isn't it? Uh, Jesus explains, see, this, this section is an introduction into a next discourse that Jesus will have, a, a time of him teaching and speaking. Um, and so this section is the beginning of an introduction into that. And it begins in chapter 9, where you read uh, that Jesus uh, says, uh, Pray to the Lord of the harvest, uh, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then uh, he calls his 12 together and answers the prayer. So here, they're encouraged to pray, and doesn't God know for what we pray and what we need? And he responds. He answers, and as Matthew puts it, uh, there's barely a heartbeat between chapter 9's end and chapter 10 begins, and Jesus is showing and delivering the answer. I'm raising up 12 and sending them out. Now, the 12 is a significant number, and, and, and specifying them here is significant. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that. There's a number of features in here that I think are rather interesting uh, in turning, don't go to, including don't go to the Gentiles. Um, don't take any uh, daily provisions for yourself uh, for survival. Um, shake the dust off your feet if you're not, uh, a place is not considered worthy. What does that mean? Uh, there's just some fun contours. But as we, as we look at that and dive into it, I want to make sure also we talk about uh, the inclusion of Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. I think that'll be a fun little discussion as well. So what we've got is Jesus calls the 12, and the first striking thing is he gave them authority, 
And then it specifies the two things they have authority over. Unclean spirits, well, what kind of authority do they have? To cast them out. Mm. Now, that is something we saw Jesus do just a chapter before. And he gives them authority to heal every disease and every affliction. So that's their authority is to go and do that. That was what Jesus was doing. But they don't get to do this of their own power or will. This is what they are sent for. Uh, the names of the 12 then are specified. And, and I'm just going to ask you, why do you think Matthew doesn't talk about all of the 12 until chapter 10? You got a thought on that? Well, there, I mean, there's you're the a, host. You're supposed to ask the questions. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is always a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable for me. You know, it's a I'm supposed to go the other direction, but it is fascinating as you say that because it really there is he he talks about calling some guys, but we really don't know what that all means. We hear of Matthew being called in the previous chapter. It's yep. obvious to this point that he's calling guys you wouldn't quite expect the fishermen. You know. Whatever their job was, it, it just was kind of unique that he called them. He went to go Simon Peter's house and, and, and you know, healed his mother-in-law. So we have a little bit of this. But we really don't have a lot of, okay, he's dealing with this. Actually, we might hear a little more about John's disciples, you know, right before this point. And so it's interesting that he waits till now. What I would say um, <laughs> at this point, and this is a little bit of trying to put it all together is he really was establishing that he was this new king. The kingdom of heaven was at hand, and so that our eyes may be on Jesus. And so that any kind of, um, well, we do this naturally, ability for us to try to look to a leader as opposed to the king of kings uh, is so natural to us that he, Matthew, and, well, the Lord, points it out so well, just, okay, this is what the new king and his kingdom will look like. And then even in this text, as you said in verse 1, it says, he called them, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave, he gave them authority, right? That it wasn't yep. their authority. So it really is an emphasis that everything they have comes from the hands of Christ and the Lord as opposed to themselves. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, there's some cool features about Matthew and the way he was inspired to put this together because you have, you have a calling of, I think, four disciples beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, there, not much is said of them, but four specific people. Y- you understand how the call worked there. Uh, but up until chapter 10, there are disciples, but they are kind of a nebulous many. We don't know the number. We don't know how many. After this, Disciples is still used, but it's sometimes used narrowly to include the 12. Sometimes it's used very broadly, including the 12, but many others. But, but by the time you get to chapter 10, you know, other gospels will, will talk about who's in, in this group of 12 earlier. Matthew waits till chapter 10 because you've seen this picture, as you pointed out, of the king and kingdom activity, what God in Christ does for the world is already on display. His salvation and restoration of the forgiving of sins as described already at the beginning of the gospel. Um, so he waits until he describes 12. And that number is extremely significant for Matthew. And I think for us as well, 
But where this section of the chapter goes, I think that becomes even more important. So he, he decides, he sa- it says that he called to him his 12 disciples. So they, he already had established them. We just didn't know who they were. But now he names them. The names of them are, and he includes 12 men, including Judas Iscariot, with a footnote. Who betrayed him? Mm-hmm. Well, has Judas betrayed him yet? Not as far in, as we know. Not in the narrative, no, no. Right. We, the reader, we already know what's coming. And Matthew alludes to that. Look, I know you know what's coming, but he is still originally part of the twelve. And why the 12? Well, you've got now some exclusivity happening in the text. He's specifying 12 individuals who have a certain call to do something unique among disciples. And they are numbered by 12, which is uh, Matthew's Gospels contouring is really often or mostly about um, Jews Uh, And people of the Old Testament word seeing and discovering that God's kingdom from the Old Testament is now happening and being fulfilled in Christ. There's this constant emphasis throughout the gospel of connecting to fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, of seeing the God of the Old Testament alive and at work in Christ Jesus. Uh, Matthew is is kind of constantly got that as the, the thrust so you have also specific and illusionary uh, callbacks to Old Testament stuff. And, and here you've got this 12 number and specified who they are, which for, for many Christians and, and certainly Jews today, they would remember the patriarchs and the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, unique enough, God is the one who established 12 people to be the heads of families that would become his chosen people of the Old Testament. And God here isn't doing anything he's not ever done before. He's choosing individuals by which he's going to uh, influence and establish his work in the world. So you've got 12, just as he called 12 uh, patriarchs from the Old Testament who would become the tribes of Israel. So now you've got 12 men who will eventually become the leaders of the tribes, so to speak, that will become the church in the future. Mm. And that is kind of striking to think about. And it, it seems to be specified because he's already got these 12, but now he wants to spell out who they are. And in verses 5 through 15, roughly, he is uh, elaborating on what their specific role will be during their lifetime. And then from there, he kind of moves on beyond that. And that includes Judas. Yes, Matthew already knows he's going to betray Jesus, yet he was part of this institution of, um, you know, the fancy term we use theologically is, uh, is uh, Jesus being Israel, Israel reduced to one person. What Israel was supposed to be, Christ fulfills. How does he do that? Well, he goes out into the wilderness and and does perfectly what Israel failed to do in the wilderness, and that was to uh, refrain from uh, the temptation to sin uh, and live righteously. Well, Jesus does that. 
Um, Israel can't do it, so he does. But God desires to uh, deliver his son from Egypt. Well, his son at this point is the 12 tribes. Jesus sends his son Christ to deliver his son from the Old Testament. That's an Old Testament reference that Israel was his son. Uh, And now he's, I know this is kind of deep, but nevertheless, God is uh, in Christ setting up this new family by giving the 12. And that's a rather striking parallel to that Old Testament narrative of God's care for Israel. And now Jesus is doing it a new way in a wholly unique uh, way in history by returning Israel to her, her rightful state through the 12. Now, Pastor, I, I think that's kind of interesting. It, it takes probably even longer to really grasp that concept, but I think it's, it's important because at the heart of it, this is where Matthew is showing you, this is what the kingdom looks like. And this is what God intended Israel to be, but what he's making Israel become now. This is 12 really, guys. This is really helpful is as, as we look at this, one of the striking things for me was Matthew 4. You see Jesus as Israel. Israel reduced to one that you know that we confess as, as Christians. Yep. That Jesus going out in the wilderness was exactly like the Israelites. What they could not do, Jesus did perfectly. So we're able to see that. So that right away is, is a connection there. Here, when we see the 12 apostles, we see the 12 tribes, and here's one connection that I saw, is when Jesus brings these 12 apostles together, it's kind of a a hodgepodge. There's no like, oh, we all got them from the best of the best, from the best families that worked in the richest jobs or had the best education or, you know, we're in... We're the best at Greek and seminary type of language that we'll use nowadays or think about who you would really want. It's a hodgepodge. But also, when he goes back to Israel, this is where it's the same. Those 12 sons did not exactly become the 12 tribes of Israel in a nice and clean and 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 helpful way, right? I mean, they're sons of Leah, sons of Rachel, uh, Zilpah. I mean, you go down the list, it's really a mass chaos, and yet God still brings order in the midst of that and shows us it's really not about these guys because they, they really, I mean, their, their family lineage is not that great, but guess who has the perfect one? And that is Jesus. So, Pastor, I want to talk more about this on the other um, side of our break. But we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 10 with Pastor Dave Hines, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 10 with Pastor Dave Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. And as we look at the text here, Pastor, really, to this point, 
we've gone through a lot of broad strokes. So I want to focus our attention a little bit here in verses one through four. As we've talked about, this is, you know, this is in God's order, not ours. It's his authority, not theirs. Um, that this is uh, a fulfillment of the Israelites showing us that God in Christ is bringing a new kingdom. Is there any one of these um, disciples you want to talk a little more about? Because we talked about Judas, and it's ironic because he's already, if you're a new reader to this, you're like, this guy doesn't sound good, this Judas guy. Any other, any other disciples you want to want to highlight? Well, Brady, I'd like to just touch one more time on Judas because <laughs> oh, Matthew, I mean, yeah, he's easy to pick on. Beating you know? the dead horse, I love it. <laughs> well, well, simply, no, simply because I think this is the matter of salvation. Uh, and I'm not here speculating on Judas's salvation. What I'm saying is Matthew forewarns us or, or reminds us that Judas is the guy who uh, uh, betrays Christ, yet he's included in the list mm-hmm. of God's reestablishment of his kingdom. Why? Because God's kingdom and his will are known through a cross, which Judas is intimately tied to, by the way, but also that inclusion in the kingdom happens by grace. It happens by the work of God. And, and that, I think, is a powerful reminder that the gospel is really about God's work, his will, and his grace. Um, with other disciples, I would probably throw in there uh, Peter because he's easy to pick on too. Simon, who is Peter, you know, the rock. Um, he's first in basically every list. And I would say that's easily because, um, well, they kind of consider him the first among equals. Mm-hmm. He is the, in, in just about every gospel, he's the spokesman for the, the group. He's also the representative idiot of the group. Um you know, John's gospel, he'll use Thomas a little bit too that way. But usually we're used to seeing Peter be both the guy who boldly confesses and the guy who denies. Um, but he is representative of everybody that's part of the group. Uh, the other thing that's unique in that section, whether you're looking at individual people or the collective, is in verse 2, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Okay. And I'd rather not gloss over that too quickly. Because the, this is the only place Matthew calls the disciples apostles. Ah, okay. The only time he uses that phrase. And apostles uh, literally means people who are sent, sent people. Um, so you have, they are about to be sent uh, with a commission. As you mentioned before, though, uh, that Jesus had given them authority. And so these sent ones, usually apostles, are people sent as an ambassador, a, a almost legal representative of someone else. So they go and say, the president has given me authority to speak on this matter for him. That's the kind of the look you have here. These are the 12 guys, the new established kingdom who have my authority, God says through Christ to be about and do and speak my stuff to those they come in contact with. They speak for me. That's a a pretty great weight, but it's also a, a wonderful blessing that God 
actually is willing to to deliver or or uh, entrust <laughs> his word into some very untrustworthy people. Like you said, the hodgepodge of disciples picked. And you go further on and you look at, well, look at the breadth of pastors we have in, in our in our synod, let alone in Christendom. Um, many devout people, but where did we come from? How did we get here? How holy are we? Well, outside of Christ, there's uh, nothing but questions. But because of Jesus, that word goes forth even, even through shepherds that are called and put into to places to serve. Uh, that's really cool, being sent ones. And so that's unique here as a feature in Matthew's introduction. And this is where there's a few of these that are well-known. Simon Peter is well-known. Andrew is kind of known, but it is, it is ironic in John chapter 1 that it was Andrew who brought Peter to the Lord. John chapter yeah. 1 speaks that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a little tidbit there. Thaddeus, we really don't know anything about this guy <laughs> besides besides that there was a Thaddeus, and that's about it. There's not much more that's brought. Simon the Zealot, we don't know much about either. And so you put all these together, and it is a wonderful like hodgepodge. Some are out front, some are behind. This is the same way we serve in the church some are out front, some are doing things behind the scenes. So, Pastor, I want to start, I want to do this because we can easily make a one-to-one and we got to be careful because the 12 apostles were chosen at that time for a specific purpose. We don't have to start then, start calling Pastor Dave Hines an apostle for whatever, you know, if, if we were wanting to do that, Lord have mercy if we did, right? Or myself, it's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But but there is something to be said and how this can, quote, apply to us today. And how would you address that if someone said, that's great, but what does that mean for us today? What would you say about Jesus's calling of the first apostles and us today? Well, if we're looking at chapter 10, and I'm going to kind of base my comment or my response in this section that we're studying, um, there is something unique going on in chapter 10 about the people Jesus chooses and the roles and responsibilities given to them. And, and this is a touchy subject for many in society because we're, we're really longing for equality. That, that's a big phrase for us in a lot of ways. Uh, but equality isn't really the issue that Jesus has in mind when he exclusively picks 12 guys and gives them a unique authority. And the way this authority is described, and I'm bleeding ahead just a little bit, but it it says uh, that you proclaim uh, as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then you heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, etc., etc. That's in verse 7. And, you know, people have the opportunity to, to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are places where a miracle may happen. But in today's world, actually, even in, in the time of the New Testament, after Christ, uh, the miraculous was not the norm for Christians. It was still the miracle. It was uh, the anomaly. What a blessing when they happen, but it was also a blessing that God would provide even if there wasn't a miracle. Jesus performed all sorts of them. The 12 go out, and they specifically are told they're going to perform 
miracles, including raising the dead. And we don't see a lot of that either after the time of Jesus. Does it happen on occasion? Well, we know Paul raised up a young man who fell off the ledge of a window after he'd been preaching all night long. But we don't hear a lot of those things. And in our own experience, we don't experience a lot of those. So this was unique. And the calling that people receive by the Lord as Christians is a type of calling, which is in some sense exclusive. Because uh, others do not receive or, or want that call and reject. And that's part of what chapter 10 here we'll get into is those who are unworthy are those who reject the, uh, the kingdom that is at hand or standing by. Uh, but also the, the calling of the 12 is not specifically the calling of anyone of the disciples who believe the broad term disciples. So equality based on roles and responsibilities is not the purview of Jesus here. Equality for Christ among people is his salvation, that Jesus comes to save sinners. He comes to forgive sins, and it's everybody's sins. And we know at the end of the gospel, we hear him say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There's that authority picture again. And then he says, therefore, go. And, and at that point, uh, there is some debate about whether that's just for pastors or, or for the whole church. I would contend that that is a little broader there because Matthew in chapter 10 is worried about those 12 and a ministry of emergency to the Jews, the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, eventually, that calling will broaden to the people of all nations. God is inclusive in that he wants all people to be saved, but that call also is exclusive because not all are. Likewise, our callings, uh, uh, some of them are exclusive based on roles and responsibilities, but our calling to salvation is inclusive because all who are in Christ are given that gift. So I, I speak very generally on that. But I know that we can fall into trouble when we, when we think that equality means uh, I can do what you can do. Mm. Because that's not, not in this text what's going on. And, and honestly, it's not found in Scripture that way, that, that we were created equal in terms of roles and responsibilities. Uh, or, or even in terms of uh, biological factors. There's uniqueness to each of us. And there's uniqueness to positions. God has called all of us uh, inclusively as humans. That created blessing is just that. It's a, it's a blessing that unites all people. We are not animals, though some contend we are. Scripture says differently. Uh, likewise, salvation has come for all people. That is a gift to us, and that is inclusive as well. Uh, but I think there's that distinction there that goes on, that 
that sometimes there's unique positions and authorities given in specific places for specific purposes that isn't for everybody. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, it is not, uh, and it, uniquely enough, it's not something that those people who are given those authorities or positions can really gloat about. I think that's where our push for equality comes from. Uh, the, the general feel of, you know, what you can do, I should be able to do. I think that comes because we feel some sense of uh, inferiority and partly because those who are in positions that seem more authoritative have abused that. Jesus makes clear that the authority is his and he's bestowing it. And anything they do, the, the 12, is actually directly reflective of him uh, otherwise, they will not have that authority. And that's, for us as well, a matter of humility. You know, why do we get to do or be what we do someone else might not be able to? Well, that's a gift of God. We thank him for it, and we pray for those who may have some other thing and thank them, thank God for their roles as well. So, as we in, in that sense, we're very tied together. We are, yeah. And this is, I mean, it reminds me of First Peter chapter 2, which says you yes. are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And that reminds us that we may all be a royal priesthood, but what that looks like is is clearly different. And that's why we, we have to be careful. This is something that, that we hold true to as Lutherans, is that if we're trying to find ourselves in the text, we're becoming theologians of glory, my glory specifically, and saying, oh, well, they're apostles, I can be apostles too, as opposed to seeing the authority in all this, which is at the hands of Christ. This, this is the beginning of, of seeing the theologian of, of the cross, where we see Jesus in all of this as opposed to ourselves. And here it's yeah. clear this is all beginning and ending in Christ. So thank you for making those distinctions and also giving thanks to God for where he has placed us at this time and ask, Lord, help us to <laughs> help us to serve the way that you've called us to serve. Pastor, I want to move forward, but I want to just ask one more time. Is there anything else you want to highlight in those first four verses of the apostles? I think we've probably covered enough of that. <laughs> so let's move forward. <laughs> so I'm going to do this. I'm going to read verses five through seven, because I think there's a lot. There's a few things we should highlight through that. And then we'll, we'll dig in verse five through seven. These 12, the apostles, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is, this is exactly what we've been hearing from the beginning. Um, I think I, I had one of our dear listeners, uh, Carl, who looked up the word king or kingdom um, throughout the book of Matthew, there was only like two chapters that does not include that kingdom language. And obviously, yeah. it's, it's very clear light here. Dr. Gibbs speaks about this explicitly. This is a new kingdom. So rejoice. The bridegroom is here. He hasn't left yet. Don't go fasting already. Rejoice. The kingdom is here. And he sends them out in a strange way. How would you describe how Jesus sends them out in these verses? Well, in in these verses, and it gets even more exciting after that, or 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 head scratching maybe. Um, but here you've got 
Yeah, first, okay, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Wait, what? I'm a Gentile. What, what's going on here? Right. You know, my initial reaction, and you made this comment earlier about reading ourselves into the text, there is a, an important point at which whatever's going on in Scripture has direct impact on us and our lives. We are a part of this, this story in many ways. But our initial response is to think, is to find ourselves in it immediately and get some kind of good stuff from it. Whereas that's not always the case. And this is one of those where, where you actually have to let the text be the text and the things that are going on be the things going on and then discover how that carries into you, your life. Uh, because it starts with Christ, as you mentioned. So here, <laughs> that's just funny. Um, You've got this strange message. Don't go anywhere to the Gentiles. Now, we know, and we can smooth this over saying, uh, you know, the Gentiles at this point were bad, the Samaritans, who likes them? Um, and eventually it gets broader because obviously we believe and we're in. So you can, you can be hardcore one way or the other. You can reject this or you can say, yeah, we still shouldn't be uh, preaching to Gentiles. But uh, Jesus has a different emphasis. He tells these 12, don't go out there because your initial mission here, your work, uh, while I'm here, and actually I think the text will allude that um, it, it will bring us into while, uh, while you are on your own after I am gone, up until Jerusalem is destroyed, there is this time period where I need you to cry out to the people of Israel who are lost, God's originally chosen people to be the bearers of his kingdom. And let me, let me qualify that even more. The people for whom you 12 now represent the new kingdom for them, you need to go out to them and proclaim saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so there's this, I've chosen Israel to be my spokesperson to the world, and they have, they have failed to do that. I'm not done with them yet. Uh, I want that message still to go out. You 12 are going to be the, the look of the new established kingdom that Israel failed to be, which I am now fulfilling. And as you go out, you are to go to them first, because that's where this message was to begin from and call them to see the kingdom. And his phrasing there is important. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Another way we could translate that or interpret it is to say, the kingdom of heaven is standing nearby. Oh, yeah. And, and that's, this little phrase uh, is a gem when we think about what that kingdom means. I'm sure you've had other speakers talk about this, that uh, especially gives uh, this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God language. The all the synoptic gospels uh, delve into it, and Matthew loves that concept. And it is never a stationary geographical location or some kind of a a, 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 a kingdom with walls built around it by which people live in, like you know the kingdom of the United States. Uh, it's territorial. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is actually uh, the working or reigning or ruling of the king, what he's doing. 
that's kingly. Uh, most notably, though, in Matthew's gospel, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand or standing, standing by, standing near, it's referring to the king himself, Jesus, who is there. And as we pointed out earlier, already in chapter nine, doing kingdom stuff. He's kinging by raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons. He's preaching the kingdom there and enacting it by doing these things because that's what Jesus came to do. So now the 12 are to go to Israel, who was the original site and people of God who were going to proclaim the working of the king. And they're going to proclaim that it is now with them. That's huge. You know, how many Israelites wondered about the kingdom of God in the past? Was God at work? Where is God at work? We have lots of Old Testament stories. I mean, that's thicker than the New Testament. But for all that time period, it actually doesn't cover everything in everybody's life every day. There, were, there had to be plenty of people wondering, is God still for us? Is he still at work? What's he doing and when troubles came, which we know are well-documented, uh, both from their own wickedness and also from, well, the forces of evil around them, plenty of times they're wondering, is God's kingdom come? And whether that kingdom was a kingdom of grace or a kingdom of judgment was also at question. And so we have any number of other Bible stories that show us how God was kinging by providing deliverance or judgment or whatever it was. These 12 get to show that in Christ, they profess what Jesus was already saying. The king, Jesus starts out with that. Uh, in fact, John's first sermon in Matthew is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or standing nearby. And Jesus and then Jesus, yeah, and then Jesus does it, and now he's sending the twelve to do the exact same thing, which was the reminder that you've seen the kingdom, but now it's here. It's not just the kingdom of God is happening; it's that Jesus is making, he's doing the kingly stuff. So even for us today, you know that jump to, to where do we fit in the text? It is that when we pray that Lord's Prayer, you know how we began, and we say, Thy kingdom come, we are, we are simply asking for Jesus to be present with his work the way he chooses to do so, because we know that when the kingdom is near, we are received as Israel too. We long to know it and trust in it. Now, that's a, that's a faith and life-shaping prayer, and it's a faith and life-shaping moment, that, that very point. And we're seeing in Matthew 10 a little bit about what that looks like, specific to these 12 guys. The next section, uh, if you want to read that, uh, kind of elaborates then what their role is, and uh, a little bit more of, uh, about the kingdom, too, I would say. Well, let's do it. I'll go eight all the way to the end. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver, no copper for your belts. 
No bag for your journey, no two tunics, nor sandals, or nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust of your feet and you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now I want to do a few things here. We have about five minutes left in our time. Is we want to... I don't really want to talk about why they didn't receive pay. That That's something that we can talk all day about. It does not matter. We also don't want to talk too much about Sodom and Gomorrah and try to determine what town um, deserves that. Because we can easily say, well, clearly, Sartell is a Sodom and Gomorrah or something. It, it's not helpful. That's not exactly what the text is telling us. But he is telling them to do kingly kingdom stuff. And what is he telling them to do? What are, what are the commands? What is he sending them to do? Okay, so specifically, you've got the 12 doing what Jesus was just doing prior to this dialogue. Mm-hmm. Healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. These are things that um, were, as I said, they are anomalies among Christians, though they may happen. Um, but at this point in time, they, they were the norm. They were to be the norm for the 12 because they were what Jesus' ministry was. Um, so we, we may not do quite as much of that, uh, but this is what they were to do is enact the Jesus kingdom, his ruling and reigning. And then what comes of that is really something that Jesus has already been alluding to before, but gets into a little after this is that when you're doing kingdom activities, uh, there's, there's one that we often forget and that is rejection. So if you're doing Jesus stuff, you are, uh, Jesus provides for the needs of people. He gathers people to himself. He, um, let me think here. Uh, I'm missing one. He provides for their needs, gathers them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm missing something there, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> one of the things he does too is that he suffers rejection. Right, yep. And guess what? The 12 will too. And, and more of that comes in the next section for your next uh, radio broadcast. But here you've already got the picture of the worthy and the unworthy. And that is sort of the clincher of this introductory portion of the next discourse is that um, some houses you're, you're supposed to, they, they are supposed to, I should say, the 12 will determine who's worthy and unworthy. How will they know? Because when they enter the house, they will either be received or let me rephrase that correctly. The kingdom of heaven will be received. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They will trust Jesus or they will not. And that will make everything abundantly clear. And when the kingdom is received, every provision you have or every need you have will be provided. Where the kingdom is rejected, there you will face struggle and suffering. But you do not need to fear those who reject Simply shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place. I will provide, but expect that some will be worthy. Why? By faith. Some will not. I think that's 
a good way to summarize that section. Uh, if you have anything more to, to add on that, I would welcome it. It, it really um, rings true in Jesus' words. When you are rejected, it is not you they reject, it is me that, they, that you reject. And I love the language that's used. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Meaning our prayer for thy, thy kingdom come, where in the, in the catechism it says that you pray for the Holy Spirit. Our prayer is that when people don't want to hear the message, that we allow God's peace to be upon us as opposed to trying to find peace in that. Because they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus. And so throughout this, what I found interesting is that really you shake your the, the dust off your feet because we still have the peace of the Lord, the King who brings his peace and showers it upon us as opposed to our own peace that we create ourselves. Pastor, I want to do this. We have about 30 seconds left in our time. How would you summarize our uh, uh, the, the verses we've read and studied this day? That Jesus comes to bring peace, and on those who know the kingdom is at hand, in Christ Jesus, discover peace in their lives and become like the Beatitudes say, peacemakers. And those who reject have no peace and they will continue to try and inflict others, including believers, to lose their peace. You have a king of peace who reigns all things. Hallelujah. Pastor David Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 9. Pastor Hines, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You are welcome. Thank you for the time, Brady, and Lord's blessings to all who listen. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.